This is the Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Mike Lynch. And we're here Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays to explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. Today, we're serving up a meatball to Lynchy because we are speaking with <laughs> legendary Red Sox radio announcer, Joe Castiglione. Joe, what a treat to have you with us. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much, Mike, Michael, and uh, Jason. It's great to be with you guys. And uh, it's not a normal season, certainly, but uh, trying to make the most of it. We are, and not a normal season, not even a normal day here. Monday morning, we're taping this around 10 a.m., and we've just gotten news. It's sort of fast-moving, to say the least. We've got some positive tests, unfortunately, for the Miami Marlins. We have had a cancellation of a game. The Yankees are scheduled to play in Philly tonight. Again, by the time folks are listening to this, many things may have changed, but we're going to take it as it comes and just talk about what this may mean and what it's meant so far for baseball. Joe, let's start there. I mean, how has this been so far for you? What have you seen? Because you've been there. Well, yes, we've done the, the two exhibition games against Toronto in the weekend series uh, with Baltimore. Now the Mets coming in, a home-and-home series. And it's certainly been different. I mean, we're calling the games with no fans in the stands. And when the Red Sox go on the road, we'll be in an empty ballpark working off a TV monitor. And it's unusual, certainly. Probably, I know it'll be a lot more unusual off the monitor. At least we have a live game in front of us at home. But uh, you certainly miss the interaction. We have no access to players other than Zoom. And we uh, use the manager's show. We tape uh, Ron Renneke's show uh, from his office. And we're up in the booth, so there's no face-to-face connections. And, of course, you don't get... uh, the asides and some of the personal stories. As a result of that, you miss the social aspect of the game, but uh, it's better than not having baseball, which, of course, now would seem to be in danger with what's happening with the virus. Well, as Jason mentioned at the show's top that we recorded this uh, in the morning, and I I can't put this any other way, I'm just wondering now if all hell is going to break loose because it's one thing if one player tests positive, but you have now many players testing positive for this virus from one team. Uh, A game has been scrubbed, and people have to recover from this. What happens to the season, and and how much in danger is it? Well, that's going to be a very tough decision for uh, the commissioner and the Players Association. Uh, You know, clubhouses, even with all the separation, and many teams like the Red Sox are putting players in uh, luxury boxes or suites to try to avoid as much close contact as possible, but players still uh, interact. And, you know, when you get a – even a cold can go through a clubhouse, and uh, it's like wildfire, so – it's really strange. I don't know what's going to happen, uh, but you certainly fear for the rest of the season. I don't think there's any question about that. And, you know, it just moves so fast. Joe, this was the biggest fear everybody had because the Players Association refused to 
live in a bubble. They said they wanted to go home to their apartments, their condos, their houses, their families. And the only thing that we thought that baseball had a great chance to, to go through the 60-game season, and the only thing that could bring them down was baseball itself. And it looks like this is what has happened, uh, the, the, the fear that these young guys can go to some restaurant or some club and bang, they come back to the clubhouse the next day, and it's just like lighting a match. And... You know, have you heard any, uh, like, at this point been emphasized from Sam Kennedy or Ron Renneke uh, with the Red Sox guys, go home, go home, go home, do not, do not, do not, do not go anyplace and just go home, baseball, home, baseball? Well, they haven't been public about it, Mike, but I think that uh, that has happened, and I think players are responsible enough uh, to realize that that's what they have to do. Uh, I know several from different areas, and very few, uh, actually nobody, on our club, another Brock Holt has gone, makes uh, his permanent residence in Boston. Many have left their families back home uh, because of the travel issue. I think travel is the biggest concern. Uh, we broadcasters are not traveling, as I mentioned earlier. I don't know any in baseball that are. So uh, I think uh, the travel, uh, like yesterday, after the game, I watched the Orioles depart, and they had four buses. Now, that's still... You know, a traveling party of 60 people or so, so there's some separation, but still there's togetherness. And uh, as we say, this thing can go like wildfire through a clubhouse or through a team. So I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, the Red Sox have had some cases. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, who's now their number one pitcher with Chris Sale out with the Tommy John, Eddie has uh, myocarditis, which is an inflammation of the heart muscle, to our understanding which is a result of having the coronavirus. And the two top uh, left-hand relievers, Josh Taylor and uh, Valentin Hernandez, are also out with the same uh, virus, and they're not ready to return, not even close. So, Joe, if I may, I want to take you back a little bit to how we got to the fact of even starting a season or the moment of, of starting a season, setting aside for a moment that that may be in danger. It was a tough road to get there. All you know about baseball, sort of distilling it down, what did you make of the very contentious negotiation and ultimately Manfred having to step in and basically say, we're playing, darn it, and I don't want to hear anything more about it. What what did you make of it, and what do you think the impact of that is on baseball going forward, setting aside the virus for a second? Well, it was a terrible uh, optic for baseball on both sides. Uh, players talk about wanting to be paid in full, like uh, Snell of uh, Tampa Bay, very embarrassing uh, video that was out there, and of course, owners talking about not uh, having great cash flow when the value of franchises has increased uh, so dramatically over the years. Uh, it certainly did not look good. And you, know, you don't see basketball or even hockey uh, or certainly the NFL airing their dirty laundry in public like this. I think it hurt baseball. But I think when the bell rang on Friday or Thursday for uh, four teams, uh, a lot of that was put on the back burner. And the key will be how it affects the CBA talks, which are coming up after this season. And if they're that contentious, we're in trouble. But maybe they solved some of the issues and found ways to get together. Because, you know, we've had labor peace since 1995. Well, one problem when you have a player that goes down 
is that you can always say the the club can say, okay, well, we'll bring somebody up from the minors to take that person's spot. Well, now, for the most part, there are no minors, which brings me to the next question about, and I brought this up many times about the status of minor league clubs. What are your thoughts on that, and and is it a dire future for those clubs? I think it may well be. I mean, Major League Baseball is trying to phase out to so many Major League teams. I'm not the minor league teams, and I'm not quite sure why, because they're building blocks for fandom. Uh, many families who don't have uh, the wherewithal to go to big league games on even a semi-regular basis, uh, maybe once or twice a year, but minor league baseball has kept the cost reasonable, and it's great family uh, entertainment value. And if we don't have that to develop young fans, uh, I think uh, they're really missing the boat because we need young people, more young people than we certainly have now with the pace of the game and all the other issues. That It seems very critical that they continue to get that family-type support. And if they phase out some of these community teams in the lower minors, I think it's asking for trouble. And I'm not quite sure why and what the cost savings you know, are not that significant. You blow it on one free agent, it doesn't work out. Joe, uh, let me ask you about your comfort level going into Fenway Park, particularly tonight. You're playing the Mets. Um, you know, I've seen you in there a thousand times. Uh, I know you can't go into the clubhouse anymore. Uh, you can't hang around the batting cage anymore. Do you walk into the park and go directly to the booth, and do you take the stairs or walk the ramp up, or do you go in and push buttons on an elevator? I mean, uh, is this constantly on your mind? Tell me what your routine is now from the minute you set foot inside the ballpark. Well, the first thing I have to do is check in online and uh, assure that I have not traveled outside of the eight states listed uh, for Massachusetts, and that's pretty much anywhere south of New Jersey. And uh, the, I don't have the fever and uh, none of the other issues. And you get an instant email clearing you for entrance. Go to the security gate. Uh, we get daily credentials, no more season credentials. And then uh, they take our temperature. There are two security people there. And I either walk up the ramp five stories. I may not do tonight because it's going to be close to 100 degrees. And then, or there's an elevator down the third base line that's reserved for media, one or two people at a time. And uh, you press the button, and it says self-cleansing buttons. So that's a, that's a plus. And then uh, we get off, and we walk to the broadcast booth and pretty much stay there. I have my own booth, fortunately. We have uh, no visiting media traveling, so I have a booth, uh, which is normally the visiting TV booth, my partner, Will Fleming, and if he works at Lou Maloney, have our bigger booths. So it works out very well for me. There's very little physical contact, and any time we're not in the booth, we wear a mask. So, Joe, I, I mean, I do wonder, kind of, you know, I asked what the the contentiousness would do for for baseball, for better or worse. What do you think this virus does for popularity? I mean, what have you even seen from the first couple of days, because as you alluded to earlier, I think all of us who are fans were happy to see it back. Um, and, and as you said, you know, maybe willing to forget a little bit about what got us here. Um, how much does a canceled season threaten the 
economic viability you think of the game? Well, I don't know from an owner's standpoint whether they'd uh, save money or not. Certainly would hurt the players in their pocketbooks. And, you know, we know about these big salaries, and some of the guys opted out to have made so much money that they can afford to do that. It's not the same uh, for everybody. Uh, the TV ratings were very good for the first game, maybe the first weekend overall. I haven't seen them yet today, but uh, I think that's that's very critical. And baseball could have had a jump and they settled their issues earlier and maybe started three or four weeks ahead of this. But they still have a jump on basketball, hockey, and football. So uh, I think it's a plus to the game of baseball. And uh, if they're not able to continue, well, it re- really remains to be seen what happens. Uh, there's so many things that would be affected. Uh, for instance, the Red Sox trying to get under the luxury tax, the threshold, uh, wouldn't be able to do that if the season were to end this week. If it goes, uh, I'm not sure how many games, but I think it's most of the 60-game schedule, they will be free of that. Uh, they reset the bar for the luxury tax, which is critical in today's baseball. The Yankees did it. The Dodgers did it. And it certainly helped them be able to spend uh, as they have the last year or so. Um, so there's so many effects. And then you have the CBA looming after the 21 season so uh, it's really hard to say what the results would be for the game of baseball but i don't think it's anything positive if it, if it has to stop this is kind of a joint question for joe and mike because both of you guys are very familiar obviously with the boston audience and the boston market uh when you have a team that is uh let's say uh just Worthy of championships, and and the team has built a, uh, a history for it, and uh, the fans enjoy it, and uh, of course you have uh, other teams like the Detroit Tigers right now, uh, <laughs> who are we're, we're the hamburger helper right now of the of the league. But it's what is it like when you have such a good team? To, to cover and to call. And I, I asked that to both uh, Mike and to Joe. Go ahead, Joe. Well, it's certainly a plus. You know, I've, I've been there with the Red Sox since 1983, and except for the early 90s, they've had a chance to win every year. I was in Cleveland before that with bad teams, and that wasn't the case. So it really is something that I think uh, Red Sox fans uh, should appreciate. And it obviously starts and ends with good ownership, the committed ownership. And the Red Sox certainly have had that, both with the old regime and especially with the John Henry group that's won four championships in a 15-year stretch. Lynch, you know, every every single night is, is an event at Fenway Park when there were fans allowed in. It didn't matter if they were playing the Yankees or the Baltimore Orioles or the Bad News Bears. 38,000 people would jam that place. They'd get there a little bit early. Uh, They don't open the gates until 90 minutes before the first pitch, so fans actually miss the Red Sox batting practice. They catch the tail end of the opponent's batting practice. And it's a happening. And when someone says to you, well, hey, uh, do you want to make plans to uh, go away on a vacation in October? You say, no, because it's a staple that you're going to be counting on playing baseball in October. 
And it's uh, always, it's, uh, I've been a lucky guy. I grew up here. I've never worked anyplace else. Um, I've been an admirer of Joe's. Uh, you know, uh, I, I see him every night at the ballpark. I work with his son, Duke, over at uh, Channel 5. And um, we're two lucky guys. As Joe said, he broadcast in Cleveland. And uh, a lot of those games in Cleveland, Joe, probably look familiar to the last five games you've done at Fenway, <laughs> the last play, right? <laughs> now, you're right, Mike, because people have asked me, hey, how are you, you going to react to an empty ballpark? I said, well, I did games in Cleveland with 2,000 people in an 80,000-seat stadium. <laughs> so, yeah. There's some precedent there. <laughs> I know what that feeling is like. I feel yeah. sorry, by the way, for Dan Dickerson. I used to work with him. He's, Dan Dickerson covers the Detroit Tigers. He's in the booth. And uh, God bless him. He can make a cockroach race sound like it's extremely exciting. He's that good. And that's what he has to work with. So uh, go Tigers. Uh, forgive me. But, uh, you know, I know what it's like when you're on the other end. And uh, Boston fans, uh, congratulations. I'm going to yeah. be quiet. Well, from an Atlanta perspective, all I can uh, recommend is back to the 80s when Ted Turner was doing ostrich races at uh, Fulton <laughs> yeah. County Stadium. Uh, but speaking of which, Joe, I mean, you mentioned, I think, a, a critical component of all of this, which we're fascinated by on this show, which is ownership. And uh, talk more about that, because you have seen that, obviously, up close and personal uh, with John Henry and his crew talk about how that manifests from your perspective in terms of running the business and in terms of building a successful team because I feel like that lesson is being learned sometimes easily, sometimes harder across all the pro leagues, ownership. Well, certainly you have to uh, invest and you have to spend uh, to get results. And I think the Red Sox have done that. They got a lot of criticism for trading Mookie Betts who signed the big uh, 12-year deal with the Dodgers for $365 million or something along those lines. And that was done, I think, uh, in large part because they weren't convinced Mookie was going to stay. He was going to test the market. It was a little bit surprising that they got that many uh, – that Mookie got that much in this pandemic. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he is that good, and certainly the Red Sox will miss him, but they wanted to reset the luxury – a bar as well. I think, though, the main thing was they weren't convinced he was going to stay. He did turn down $10 million, uh, or $300 million for 10 years, which basically is the same amount of money that he got with the Dodgers with two more years added by the Dodgers. So uh, I think you have to uh, look at it that way. And uh, the way the, my judgment is they've won four. They, they bought the club, took over in 02. They've won four world championships in 15 years, and nobody this century has won that many. So I think that shows commitment, and uh, that's critical in this game. I'm going to be quiet now because I'm still crying in my clinics here. So. You sort of, I mean, Bar, you sort of set yourself up by asking these guys, like, what does it feel like to be a winner? Well, I mean, like, that's pretty much what the question was. Well, if I your question down, very simply, it was, well, it was Tigers, just... Well, the Tigers, you know, have had a great history, but uh, they've also had some real valleys as well as the peaks. And you don't do that with Boston and the Yankees anymore. You reload, the, yeah. not rebuild. Hey Joe, let me ask you. Um, you know, from a business standpoint, uh, is it still the same routine? The call to the bullpen brought to you by today's starting lineups brought to you by. Uh, is, is business still good from your your perspective? I know as a broadcaster, I couldn't tell you what a thirty second commercial costs on television after working there forty years. But and you probably couldn't either. But are those drop ins still there? Are, are those drop ins still there? 
Oh, yes. And not quite to the extent that they were. Uh, but, yes, they're a very viable part of our broadcast and a necessary part. And, uh, you know, we have an hour pregame show for that reason. Pregame shows are designed to carry spots, uh, usually more spots than programming uh, content. And uh, I think our sales guys have done as well as could be expected, considering what we're going through here. And we still have our basic staples and some new sponsors as well. So uh, it's a big part of it. And, you know, the, the breaks are filled every half inning, and the game goes on, and the, and the commercials go on. <laughs> It is sort of amazing. I mean, and I think we're learning a lot about the, the broadcast business and the media business, uh, all of us. Uh, any parting thoughts, uh, Michael Barr or Lynchy? Uh, questions for Joe? I, yeah, I do have I have one, and I was thinking about this, uh, and it kind of extends more about Fenway Park. And you kind of, both of you guys kind of touched off on it. Walking into Fenway, it, it is, it, it's a treasure because we yes many new parks have popped up uh but fenway is fenway you still have the old style scoreboard where somebody is putting in the the slide for the for the scores it's that experience of just walking in the fenway must be exciting and i, and I bring that to both well yes ahead, it's been my office for 38 years so uh, i still appreciate it Every time I go in there and see that green wall in left field, and you have to credit the ownership here. Uh, under the old ownership, we had plans uh, for New Fenway Park in the late 1990s. And when this group came in, I think modern engineering made it possible, too. They decided to save Fenway Park, and they've rebuilt it with the seats in left field, the monster seats, as they're called. And it was a 10-year program. I think it cost uh, Mike something like $100 million or maybe more. Yep, And they did such a good job that those new additions look like they've been there since the park was built in 1912. They blend in so well. Well, I remember my first game. I was seven years old. My dad took me. It was Ted Williams last year in 1960. And the first thing that struck me is the same thing that strikes me every time I walk in, how green the grass is and how green the left field wall is when you walk in. It sort of takes your breath away. And this ownership has done a great job of, of keeping the character of the ballpark looking the same. As Joe said, it almost looks like those, the monster seats used to be just nets in left field. And all these little pavilions where they have where people can enjoy the game. And, uh, and it's a happening. And it's a very intimate ballpark because there's not a lot of foul territory. Uh, the, the, the fans are right on top of the on-deck circle. They're right on top of the dugout. They're right on top of the outfielders. And uh, it, it's a great, great place to watch a game. And uh, we've, Joe and I have been lucky to be able to, you know, call that place home and uh, actually get paid for going there, which is uh, really, really a crime. I kind of wear a mask every other week when my paycheck comes in that, you know, I get paid for going to Fenway Park. <laughs> it really is special. Yeah. All right. Well, Joe, you're a gentleman for spending some time with us. We know it's a busy time and an uncertain time. Uh, thanks for taking some time with us. Uh, best of luck. We're all rooting for baseball, of course, to continue. And uh, hopefully we can get it all figured out. And hopefully we'll get a chance to check in with you maybe uh, toward the uh, toward October, as, uh, as Lynchy said, when we get a little bit of a playoff run or something, whatever the season uh, is going to look like here. We just hope it continues. Really grateful to you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me, Mike and uh, Michael, and 
Jason, a lot of fun, and uh, we hope we'll be talking to you in October. We'll see. <laughs> Thank <All right>. you, sir. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Well, guys, as we said at the top, a fast-moving story. And as we were wrapping up taping, just as we let Joe Castiglione go, we got word via The Athletic that the Yankees-Phillies game will not be played tonight, Monday night. This, of course, is following the Marlins' visit to Philadelphia. We don't know how wide this will spread to in terms of uh, cancellation. But, you know, Lynchy, not a super big surprise that they would cancel this game game out of an abundance of caution, but you do wonder what this portends for the week and the season. Well, the Yankees would be uh, be in the same clubhouse that the right. Marlins were in for three nights. Uh, if I'm on the Yankees, I'm not going anywhere near that clubhouse. I don't care if uh, I have a hazmat suit on. It's just not happening. And I think that sentiment uh, was uh, relayed around to, to, to the commissioner's office, and they did the right thing. Uh, they think it has to be sanitized over and over again. And uh, when is the comfort level going to return to go back to that clubhouse that 14 members of the, as of 1030 Monday morning, morning 14 members of the marlins tested positive all right well you can catch our podcast right here every monday wednesday and thursday i'm jason kelly catch me on twitter at jason kelly news and i'm michael crying bar i'm on twitter at (laughs) big bar sports (laughs) and i'm mike lynch i feel bad for the tigers and you can catch me at lynchy wcvb you're listening to bloomberg business of sports from bloomberg radio around the world